In week three, we'll talk about intentional discipleship. If there's anything that I feel like God has laid upon my heart these past couple of years, um, and maybe I said this my first Sunday, if I didn't, I'll say it to you now. There was a time in my life, and a lot of pastors are like this, and it's not that we're big-headed, although some, some may be, and I hope I'm not. Um, but there was a time in my life I thought, well, God, I want to be at a church this size, just to be open and transparent to you. But now I feel like God's just changed my whole idea of ministry completely wherever Mr. Young is because what that idea of ministry is for me right now is I want to make it be at a church that just makes a difference and we're making disciples as best we can because that's what it's all about, whether you're at the biggest church or the largest church. That's what it's really all about. So we're going to talk about what intentional discipleship looks like because that's what I want to preach. That's what I want to major on until, you know, the day God calls me home. And then last but not least, uh, week number four, if you're back... For, for that particular message, what it looks like to, to live on mission. We'll look at missional living, but, but right off the bat, I want to start off with this first core value. And if you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter four, this is what Luke chapter four is about. Luke chapter four is about the temptation of Jesus. And so, well, wait a minute, Jesus was, was tempted? He went through temptation? Yeah, he, went, he was tempted just like we are. He can identify with us whenever we're tempted. The, the difference is, you know, oftentimes when we're tempted, we give into that temptation and we sin, but not Jesus because he's a perfect savior. Amen. So there's a big difference between when Jesus was tempted and when, and when we're tempted. But when Jesus was tempted, every single temptation that was thrown his way, he answered with scripture. And what's cool for me as a sinner saved by grace is that every temptation that's thrown my way I can defeat that temptation. I can overcome that temptation the same way my Lord did, and that's through his word. Over and over again, Jesus said in this text that we'll get to in just a few minutes, he said a recurring phrase over and over and over again, and it's the phrase, it is written. It is written. Hey, by the way, Satan, it is written. We'll see that in just a few minutes. Literally, I think he says it a little more emphatic. Because if you were to look in the original languages, not only does it just say it is written, that's what it says in our English, but in the original languages, it says it stands written or it stands spoken. It's a reminder that the word of God will never, ever, ever fade away. You know, human words fade, uh, human wisdom fade, but not the word of God. I don't know about you, but um, Trey, normally I take my wallet out of my, out of my pants, my keys. I didn't do any of that stuff today. But in my wallet right now, if I were to, to unfold my wallet before you, you won't find any cash. So, so don't mug me or anything like that because I don't hardly ever carry cash on me anymore. But, um, but one of the things that's in my wallet is receipts. Great time of day. There's been times I feel like my wallet here poof, because of all the receipts I have in there. Can some of y'all identify? All right, well, that's kind of like me. But one thing you notice about those receipts is that it's printed on thermographic paper. So that means over time, if you keep those receipts in your wallet or in your purse or in your car, over time, those, what's printed on that receipt is going to fade away. You're not going to be able to see it anymore. It reminds us that's what human words are like. They just kind of fade away. Human promises are broken. But Jesus actually says this in his words, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. And then Peter, when he was writing, he said, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. So the word of God, the Bible, is different from any other word you can read. It's different from any other word you can know. It's different from anything you can actually hold in your hands. It is God's word for you. So what is God's word for us today? Well, I'm glad you're ready to jump right in. Luke chapter 4, 
And let's read a couple of verses here, and I would encourage you just to keep your verses or to keep your Bible open to these verses, and we'll look at it a little bit longer uh, today. But let's just um, pick up at the temptation of Jesus, Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. And Jesus, notice what it says, full, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And I like this phrase, in a moment of time. In a moment of time, Satan took Jesus to to a place. And I don't think it was a literal place. I'll get to that in a minute. But in a moment of time, he takes Jesus to this place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, to you, I will give all the authority and the glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written. It's taking Satan back to scripture. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So here's Satan. Does this catch you as like, huh? Satan's quoting scripture back to Jesus. Tells us that he even knows God's word. Verse 12. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. I pray, Father, um, that you might open our eyes so that we might see wonderful things from your word. Speak to every man and woman, boy and girl, from the youngest to the oldest today. May we hear a word from you. Not necessarily, Lord, from me. But help us to hear what you would have us to hear. Not only from your written word, but from the word that your Holy Spirit will just impress upon our hearts and upon our minds today. So, Father, have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. You know, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, I'm reading currently through the Gospel of Luke. I'm reading through an Old Testament book. I'm reading through a New Testament book for my daily devotionals. I'm in Luke. I'm glad to be in Luke. He's wordy, though. Y'all ever met wordy preachers that just keep on and on and on? You're looking at one, all right? <laughs> but Luke's kind of that same way. But he's a, he's a doctor, he's a physician, and he's just really wordy, and that kind of makes sense. But he really does give attention to detail, perhaps more than any other biblical writer, at least biblical, um, or not biblical writer, but writer of the Gospels. He's very, very, very detailish, Dr. Luke is. And if you were to flip over to Luke chapter 1, just let me just kind of walk you through as fast as I can Luke 1 through 4 here, because it's really interesting what Dr. Luke tells us. He tells us in chapter 1 here, verse 1, why he's writing what he's written. And he tells us a purpose. He calls out a person by the name of Theophilus. And can I just tell you that for years and years, people in church have debated, well, well, was there really a Theophilus? You know, is it just one person he's writing to here? Because the word Theophilus means lover of God. And, and there could have been a particular person Luke was addressing. That name was Theophilus, just like my name is Rod, and your name might be Bob or something. But, but really, I think he's writing this to people just like us that are gathered on the Lord's Day to worship the great I Am. 
So he's writing to, uh, to people that love the Lord, and, he, and that's his purpose in writing. And he goes into great detail about the life and the ministry of Jesus, beginning even before Jesus was born, which is pretty cool. So he tells us here about the birth and life of John the Baptist. Now, I'll just be up front with you. There was a day in my life I thought John the Baptist was, was a Baptist. He might have even been a Southern Baptist. I don't know, he, but, but that's not the case, all right? He, he was called John the Baptist because he was baptizing people for the remission of their sins. People would come to him and he would preach and, and he would preach about a coming Messiah and people would get right, not even knowing that there were that, that anything about Jesus other than he was coming. He was already there, wasn't he? But John would baptize them and that's why he was called Baptist. The word Baptist means to dunk. And I tell you, when we dunk people back here, when we baptize people, we're gonna hold them down. <laughs> I've never drowned anybody yet, but now I'm just joking with you. I think it's kind of nice every now and then to smile a little bit in church, don't you? But he was called Baptist because he literally would, would baptize people for their remission of their sins, knowing he wasn't saving anybody, but, but he was just doing it as a sign of their repentance of their sins. That's what Luke tells us. He tells us a little bit about John the Baptist. Then he tells us about the birth of Jesus. Only in this gospel do we read about the shepherds coming which is pretty cool. I like to know the details. And he tells us the details about the shepherds coming to visit Jesus there as, a, as an infant there in the manger. He gives us details about Jesus being a little boy. Have y'all ever wondered all the things Jesus must have done when he was a little boy? Because if you got boys or if you got children, but maybe especially boys, and you know what boys can get into, right? You wonder if Jesus ever got into those things. Right, did he ever play in the hills there the way I played in the clay hills where I grew up there and I would play, you know, cowboys and Indians and all that other good stuff. You wonder if Jesus ever played something like that in the hills around Nazareth and Galilee and all those places in Israel. But he tells us about Jesus as a boy. And the only story we ever have about Jesus being a boy is here in Luke's gospel. And then we come over here to chapter three and he gives us the details. Or let me tell you that before we get to chapter three. He tells us even about Jesus being baptized by John the, what's his name? John the, but yeah, he tells us y'all are an above average congregation. I'm telling you. Yeah, y'all knew that. And he tells us here in Luke's gospel how Jesus was baptized. And when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, and you can be baptized in the Jordan today. Y'all ready to go to Israel? I'd go tomorrow if I could. And I would feel just as safe as I would right now in this very place. But Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. And when Jesus was baptized, and if you've read your scriptures, you can read right here in chapter 3 here what happens when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. The Spirit of God descended upon him in a dove-like form. And then we hear the Word of God. We hear God speak saying, this is my beloved Son, in him I am well pleased. All of that's in the first couple of chapters in great detail. You say, I want more. Well, you got to wait to heaven to find out more. But he tells us all of this here in the first couple of chapters. And then we see the genealogy of Jesus. And he does it in a very interesting way. He doesn't start in the beginning and go all the way to Jesus. He starts with Jesus and goes backward. And he talks about some 76 names. We can read about that there. And if you're like me, you can, you can butcher those names if you try to read some of these names. And you go all the way from Jesus all the way back to Adam, the very first person, our forefather, if you will, that God created. And we all know the story of Adam, don't we? Adam was married to Eve, yeah. Lived in a perfect place. It wasn't Shiraz. So Garden of Eden, all right? And the Garden of Eden was perfect for a time and they got to live there. God created it for them. 
And while they were living there, y'all know what happens to the story there. Adam and Eve sinned. They were tempted. They gave in to that temptation. So God's like, hmm, I knew this was going to happen because he's God. So God said, what the first man could not do, live a sinless, perfect life, is what my son Jesus is going to do. And this didn't catch him by surprise whatsoever. So if you were to read through the book of Romans, the book of Romans tells us that Jesus is called the second Adam because he could do what the first Adam could not do, and that's to live a fully surrendered life of no sin, a life that just totally pleases his heavenly father. But here, at the very beginning of his ministry, right after his baptism, right off the bat, Jesus is tempted. Now think about this. You got old Adam. Where's Adam living? The Garden of Eden, right? Place of perfection, wonderful place, great place. Adam's in the Garden of Eden, faces temptation and fails. And then centuries later, you got Jesus who's, who's in the wilderness of all places. He's tempted and he prevails. So what a difference between Adam here and Jesus and the way Jesus won is through the word of God and the way you and I can win over our temptation is the word of God as well. So if there's one particular core value that I want you to remember when it comes to biblical authority, it is that we are to live in submission to God's word. So humor me for a minute because y'all been sitting down. Y'all haven't stood up in a while. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I'm going to ask you to humor your pastor. Does that have a good ring to it? Your pastor? All right, humor your pastor, if you will. If you got a Bible, put your Bible over your head. And I know some of you got to use your phone because y'all use your phone. And by the way, if you're in the back, isn't that a beautiful sight, seeing all these people? All right, that's what it means. You can put your Bibles down now. Thank y'all for humoring yours truly. That's what it means to live in submission to God's word. We're placing ourselves under the authority of the word of God. If you go to work tomorrow morning, you're going to place yourself under the authority of somebody over you. And as a Christian... As a Christ follower, I'm to live my life under the authority of the Word of God. Y'all with me? Say amen to that. So what does it mean? Well, we're going to live our lives in in submission to the Bible. The opposite of that is that there's people that you might live with. There's people you might work with. There's people you might go out to eat with. There's people from all walks of life, and and they're totally different from you. So so praise God you're in their life because you might be the only Jesus they know. But there's people out there that live complete opposite of how you live. They don't live their life in submission to God's word. They live, they want to live their life where they're over, you know, God's word. They stand in judgment over the word of God. They've got a critical spirit when it comes to the Bible. They hold the Bible in disdain. And if I can just go off on a short tangent, can I, let me just say this. Um, I'm not surprised at all at where our country is as a nation, as a country, because we've said we, we hold the Bible in such disdain any longer. The greater culture, I'm not surprised at all where we are as a nation right now. So, boy, don't we need a spiritual revival? Don't we need an awakening in our land? So other, some people are just complete opposite. They don't want to live their life in submission to God's word. They're over God's word in their life. And then you got some that say, well, <laughs> well you know, I'm kind of like equal to God's word. There's some parts of God's word that I like. There's some parts of God's word that ah, I just think we've evolved. We've evolved. They, they treat God's word like the buffet. Y'all been to buffets, right? Whenever I go to buffets, I eat too much. I love to go to Shoeless Barbecue over there in Latta. And when I go over there, I leave 
miserable. It's good, but I, I just eat, eat, eat too much. And some people are like that with God's word. They, they treat it like a buffet. Well, I want this. I really like this part of God's word, but this part of God's word here, that's just not for me. And it's not for us anymore. So some people like to see themselves equal to God's word. God wants us to live our lives under the word of God. He wants us to have such life that we say, Lord, when my heart fully understands what your word says, I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to live under it. And Lord, even when I don't understand everything, I'm still going to live my life under God's word. So having said all that, um, let's, let's break this down a little bit. What does it mean to live in submission to God's word? Well, you can submit to God's word and think about what Satan did to Jesus when Satan tempts you to provide for yourself instead of depending upon God. So just think about, if you will, this temptation of Jesus that was brought to him by his adversary, which is our adversary, Satan. He's been in the wilderness for some 40 years, or 40 days, 40 days. Uh, Wednesday night, I was having fun with that, with the Israelites. They were in the, in the desert for 40 years. Well, Jesus wasn't there for 40 years in the wilderness, but for 40, how many? Days, Yeah, thank you for keeping your pastor straight here. So for 40 days, he's in the wilderness and he's fasting. So that means physically, he's famished. I mean, I, I know what it's like to fast every now and then. Some of you know what it's like to fast because you're either doing it for a spiritual purpose or for a physical purpose, maybe for a doctor's appointment, and you're having to fast. And, and if you go without food, you're going to get hungry. Some of y'all even got hangry before, right? Y'all know what hangry is. You get so hungry, you're just angry. Well, I don't think Jesus was hangry, but he had to be hungry because he was fasting. But he was fasting not because of his physical need. He knew what was coming. So he was fasting to meet a spiritual need so he can be strengthened spiritually. So we see here in verse 1 that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And he returned from the Jordan and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Makes sense, right? And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. I don't know if you're like me, but have you ever wondered how big was that stone? Because if I'm hungry, I don't want a little pebble. I want a boulder, right, if I'm hungry. So I don't know if you read scripture that way, but that's how I am every now and then. How big was that stone? Jesus, wonder how big it was. Command this stone, Satan is saying, to become bread. If you are the son of God, don't let that phrase bother you. Because Satan knew who he was. I think a better translation would not be if you are the son of God, but since you're the son of God, Jesus, you command this stone to become bread. I mean, you're God. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. So, so knowing who you are, it's your prerogative. You're hungry. You've been out in the wilderness for 40 days. Take this stone here and feast. Make it into some bread. Satan could have even said, you know, after all, you fed those rebellious Israelites of yours. You fed them for 40 years. So you've been out there for 40 days. Meet your need. I mean, he could have used that argument to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? But he quotes scripture. And if you've got those little notations in your Bible, he goes to Deuteronomy. And he quotes from of all places, Deuteronomy. When's the last time you quoted Deuteronomy? But here's what Jesus says. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So he takes Satan all the way back to Deuteronomy. And I know how some of you people are because I'm in the same boat every now and then. A lot of people have in church life. January 1st rolls along. 
we got, I got a New Year's resolution. I'm going to read through the Bible in a calendar year. That's a major undertaking. And we're doing really, really good. We're trucking through Genesis. We're trucking through Exodus. And then we get to Leviticus. And we're like, ugh. And we stop. So Jesus, you know, got through Leviticus and all that. He's right here in Deuteronomy. And he's quoting scripture to Satan. Hmm. And if I could put words in Jesus' mouth for us today, I think Jesus could have said something like this to Satan when Satan was tempted him. Yeah, Satan, we fed the Israelites. I fed the Israelites for 40 years with heavenly manna. He's like, what's manna? Have y'all heard the old preacher's joke on that? A lot of preachers like to say that, that heavenly manna was, was our version or their version of grits, right? I like a good pot of grits. But uh, that's, what, that's just the old preacher's joke there. But Jesus could have said, yes, yeah, Satan, uh, we fed the Israelites daily, but it wasn't the bread that God provided that fed them. It was God who provided the bread that fed them. It was all of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So when Satan tempts you to take care of yourself, when Satan tempts you to provide for yourself at the expense of obeying God's word, you, don't, you just remember you don't live by stuff that the world says you need to have a, a happy life. There's so much stuff the world says you got to have, right? The places you go to eat, the, the things you eat, the things you drink, the places you live, how you live your life, the, the cars you drive, the cars you may want to drive, all this stuff the world says you need to be happy. But Jesus says man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So recognize when you're tempted to provide for yourself instead of depending upon God, that God wants you and he wants me to have a heart that says, Lord, I'm going to trust you to meet my needs. Lord, I'm going to trust you to, to make a way when it seems like the way for me has been uh, closed. Lord, I'm going to trust that when my life has no direction, I'm just going to look to you for my direction. Lord, when, when others fail me, I'm going to look to the one who never has. He wants to have the heart that says, Lord, when I'm sick, I'm going to look to you as the great physician for my help. When I'm struggling to pay my bills, I'm going to look to you. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. When life goes against me to tie me down, I've got the one that will do anything just to, to bring my life up. That's Jesus. So you submit to God's word when Satan is over here tempting you. You just provide for yourself. Y'all with me? Now let, let's move on. Let's move on. So, so then secondly, you can submit to God's word when Satan tempts you to promote yourself instead of honoring God, to promote yourself instead of honoring God. If your Bibles are still open, look at verse 5 here of Luke chapter 4. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a, in a moment of time. And as I said a few minutes ago, I don't believe this was a literal place because no literal place like that exists where you can see everything at once but in a moment of time can we really describe that and understand that no y'all all right with that there's some things that's just going to be a mystery to we all get to heaven but in a moment of time satan takes jesus to this place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world it's like jesus i'll give you all of this if you'll bend the knee and worship me and then he says in verse six he this is what he's saying he's like i give you all this authority their glory and all the perks, all the power, keys to the kingdom. It's all been given to me, Jesus, and I'll give it to you if you'll just, verse 7, bow down and worship me. Y'all know in Scripture, Satan is referred to on a couple of occasions as the God of this world. 
or the God of this age or the prince of the air. And, and Satan knows that about himself and he knows his leash is short though. But while this leash is short, he's saying, hey, Jesus, I can give it all to you, everything. <laughs> everything belongs to God in the first place, right? I mean, he really can't give everything to, you know, because he doesn't own everything, but God does. But he, and y'all know what our God can do? He can build up kingdoms and he can snuff them out too. Satan can't do that. But here's Satan and he's just kind of twisting everything. He's like, hey, Jesus, I can give it all to you. It's almost as if Satan is in his ear, like he gets an iron every now and then, saying, if you would just bend your knee to me, when you look at your life down the road, Jesus, there'll be no, no, there'll be no pain. There'll be no tears. There'll be no Gethsemane. If you just bend the knee to me, there'll be no trial. There'll be no beatings. There'll be no cross. There'll be no nails to pierce your skin, no crown of thorns upon your head. You won't be spilling any type of blood. If you just bend the knee to me, you'll never hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You'll never have to say that to your heavenly father. That's just how Satan can just twist things. Can I remind you, he's the father of what? Lies. Satan is. So there he is saying, Jesus, I can give it all to you. All the power and the glory at no cost. Can I just remind you, oftentimes when things sound too good to be true, they are, yeah, yeah, they really are. All you got to do is worship me, Jesus. That's what Satan wanted in the first place. You see, if we were to put Satan back in heaven, he didn't want to be in front of God's throne. He wanted to be on the throne of God. He wanted to be first place there, just like he wants to be first place in my heart. And he wants to be first place in your heart. So what do you think Jesus does? He takes them to Scripture. Biblical authority. And he says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So he's quoting again of all places, of all books of the Bible, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. And let me just tell you this, if Satan will come to Jesus boldly like that, he can come to you and me like that as well. And he could say things like, you want to move up the ladder at work? Let me tell you what you can do. <laughs> That's just how Satan operates. He always pays his bills with counterfeit money. So never take anything from Satan. All of his promises, he'll break. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? And the world has a lot to offer. If I could just pretend like I'm one of those old scales. Y'all ever seen one of those things? So let's just say on this end or this side over here is what the world says that we could have if we were to bend the knee to Satan and worship him, we could have power, prestige, money, pleasure, a vacation home at the beach, a vacation home at the mountains. Wow, a lot of that stuff sounds pretty good, don't it? But then if your soul's over here, don't lose your soul for what the world offers you. Instantly, your soul is far worth more than anything this world and Satan can offer. What does it profit a man to gain everything and yet lose his soul? Jesus knew that if he gained all the kingdoms of the world, that ultimately he loses everything. So he says to Satan, it is written, you shall worship the Lord and him only shall you serve. The, the old hymn comes to mind. This was probably Amy in the Baptist Seminole. This was probably even in the Broadman. Y'all remember the Broadman? It's before the Baptist hymnal. <laughs> but this hymn was probably in there. I'll live for him who died for me and shed his blood on Calvary. Yeah. So when you come to the place of losing everything to gain Christ, then you really, really have gained 
everything. Y'all still with me? Say amen if you are. All right. And if somebody didn't say amen, if they're asleep, just kind of nudge them in Jesus' name and wake them up. All right. All right. Then thirdly, you can submit to God's word when Satan tempts you to protect yourself instead of trusting in God. Here in verse 9, Jesus is taking Satan back to Scripture. And what's interesting here is that Satan begins to quote Scripture as well. But follow along with me here. Uh, We'll pick up in these verses. Um, The Bible says he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, if since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Are you shocked that Satan knows Scripture? He really does. He would fit right in in this church. He would fit right in in any church because he knows Scripture probably better than some of us even here today. He can quote Scripture probably than some of us in here today. The Bible says not only does Satan believe, but that his demons believe and they tremble at the Word of God. Satan's very orthodox. that bother you? I mean, he, he believes everything here in God's Word. He's an expert when it comes to Scripture. If you were to ask him about the truthfulness of God's Word, he would say, yeah, I believe it, every word of it. He doesn't like it, but he believes it. And there are people in church that are very much like Satan. And hear me, I didn't say this church. But there are people in church, right, that are very much like Satan. You say, how dare you say that? No, I, I love you. I love them. But there are people in church that know Scripture. They can quote it. They affirm it. But then you look at their life and you're thinking, Really? You say, you're being judgmental. No, I'm just being real. Because if you look at some people's life, if there's no fruit, there's no proof, if you ever heard that saying. So, and if you ask somebody like that, well, uh, you know all this scripture, you're quoting scripture, you know, you, you ought to serve on this committee and this committee and so on and so forth. But, but, but is, is it all about Jesus for you? Can you bend the knee to Jesus? And then that's when people go bilingual and they say, no way, Jose. I can't do that. Y'all all right? Okay, just, just checking. There's just no life change. And some people in that way are like Satan. They quote Scripture, they know it, but there's been no life change. So what Satan's doing, he's taking Scripture, he's taking it out of context, but he's quoting Scripture. And this is where he takes Jesus. If the slides will work for me. There we go. Um, that is not Sugarloaf Mountain. All right? But, um, but that is the Temple Mount. You're going into the city of Jerusalem. You're in the Mount of Olives over here. You're coming down. And I've got a pointer. You, I'm sorry. My pointer only works. I don't know what slide to go to. So you over here, you may not be able to see this, but right there, can you all see that little red light? All right, right over here, Kidron Valley is all over in here. That's the Temple Mount. And what many scholars believe is that the highest point of the Temple Mount, the pinnacle, is where Satan took Jesus. And when Satan took Jesus there, and by the way, that's about 450 feet down. It may not look it, but it's, it's amazing how tall that structure there is in Jerusalem. Church history tells us that James that you read about in Scripture was martyred by being thrown off the highest part of the Temple Mount. So somewhere right around in there is where James could have lost his life for the glory of God. So maybe that's where Satan took Jesus And while he's there, he's saying, hey, Jesus, let's test this out. Jump. And if you jump, 
Nothing's going to happen to you. The scriptures are going to say that the angels will come and they'll, they'll make sure you won't get a scratch on your body whatsoever. Can I tell you something? Satan will do the same to you. He may not intentionally tell you to jump, but he will have you question and test the truthfulness of God's word. Don't even let him have a foot in the door. He'll give you scripture. He'll give you some type of truth from somewhere, and his intent will be for you to disbelieve God and the truthfulness of God's word. So what Jesus does is he takes them to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And just like that, Satan leaves. I almost want to quote Forrest Gump. I like to imitate Forrest Gump every now and then. And just like that, Satan left. (laughs) And just like that, Satan just departed from, from Jesus. And Jesus understood something that you and I need to understand something today. Whenever we're tempted to disbelieve God and not to take him at his word, and if we ever hear Satan tell us, hey, you need to tweak the word of God for a little bit if you want to protect yourselves, trust God's word instead. All right. Now, you can keep your finger here in Luke, but I want you to turn with me over to um, 1 Peter. So just be making your way over to 1 Peter. And if you've gone to Revelation, guess what? You've gone too far. <laughs> but uh, go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to just share with you uh, some scripture for just a brief moment, if you will. And while you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 2, think about that last point, to protect yourself instead of trusting in God. When you begin... When you begin to trust God rather than trying to protect yourself, all right? When you begin, and and let me, all you young people in here, including my own, when you begin to trust God instead of trying to protect yourself, you got a whole different MO in your life. Because if you trust God with your life to protect your life, to keep your life, you would be willing to do, you'll be looking at a life that can be adventurous, and a life that can be bold because you're willing to do whatever God will lay upon your heart to do because it's not about you protecting your life. You just want to please the Lord when it comes to your life. So here, here we are, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, look down at verse 22, if you will. 1 Peter 2, 22. He committed no sin, talking about Jesus, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been what church? Healed. So rather than protecting himself all the way to the cross, he went to the cross for you and for me. And by our trusting in him, (laughs) you can have a life That's just, for lack of a better word, blessed. Temptations can come at you, and uh, the same Satan that tempted Jesus, he's not going to stop, rather, tempting you. And the same Satan that tempted Jesus is the same Satan that will continue to tempt you until God calls you home. So let me just share with you by way of application, and and I'll close because time is running now. I don't want to go long on my first Sunday with you. Might not come back. I want you to come back. Bring some folks with you. But let me just give you some practical things that we can do so we can make sure that we want to live our lives in biblical authority, all right? Number one, place the Word of God. Some of y'all still have it. Place the Word of God in your hands daily. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good about putting a fork or a spoon in my hand several times a day, right? 
It's going to be pretty good in a few minutes when I put a fork in my hand and, and I eat because I know what I'm going to be eating in a few minutes. All right? So don't let a day go by that you don't place the Word of God in your hands and let it speak to you. Get the Word of God in your eyes. There's a lot of things we see this day and age. So read the Word of God. And as you read the Word of God, it will penetrate your mind. It will penetrate your heart so that you can live in submission to God's Word. And then get to know God's Word. All right? Not only should you get to know God's Word, but you want to make sure that as you know God's Word, you're hiding it in your heart so that you might not what? Sin against God. And then it should lead you to be a person that wants to make sure that your feet are going in the direction that God wants your life to go. Now, let me just tell you this. Y'all know I closed my Bible, so I'm really close to saying I'm done. And nobody said amen. All right, that's good. I just want y'all to know I'm not the most tech-savvy person around. Trey, I'm not the hippest pastor around. Does that shock you? (laughs) I'm not the coolest pastor around. But one thing I love on my phone is Spotify. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's a great listening service. And uh, for some of you my age, you've got a smartphone. Uh, it's, it's the coolest thing. Y'all remember FM and AM on the radio? Sometimes they would play songs I didn't want to listen to. But if I got a Spotify account, I can say this is the bands I want to listen to. This is the type of music I want to listen to. And I'll even tell you what I was listening to the past couple of days. Uh, Tony Bennett Radio. Yeah, I know, I know. But hey, I like that every now and then. I like jazz, I like blues, and I was listening to Tony Bennett Radio, and he had Diana Crawl on there. I really like her as well. They're, they're great together. But coming up here this morning and getting dressed this morning, I had it on my channel called Songs for Worship. Nothing but praise songs. You say, why in the world are you telling us that? Because when it comes to, when it comes to let me put that down, when it comes to God's Word, a lot of us really do treat it you know, like a Spotify account or even like a buffet to go back to that old illustration. John three sixteen. Oh man, I love that verse. But then we come to verses like, wives well, submit to your husbands. <sighs> and we come to other verses and we just don't like those verses. Hey, listen, the reason I wanted to start off today with this particular message is that God will bless a church. He will bless a people if we begin from the foundation with a high view of scripture. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll bow your heads and let's, let's pray. Lord, as our praise team comes to lead us in worship today, as we sing a last song, and it is a song of decision for those of you that are listening to the pastor pray this morning. It's a song where we respond to what God has laid upon our heart. And, and sometimes we need to act in a public way as to how God has spoken into our heart. But Lord, I want to thank you that today you have spoken to these, your people. And Lord, I want to thank you for the joy of preaching to them today. And as we look at what happened with Jesus when Satan came at him so very, very hard there in the wilderness and taking him to places like Jerusalem and to that moment of time, Lord, in, in a heartbeat, you could have snapped him out of existence. You could do that to any of us. But instead, you've chosen to give us the same thing that you, you had of your own, and that was the Word of God. So, Lord, I pray that your Word will empower us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that whenever temptations come our way in the life of our church family, and even in the life of your church, may we always take the high road and take a road that's less traveled, a road that you would have us to take. 
Lord, your words have authority. May we yield to that authority. And Lord, I pray that for, for the men, for the women, for boys and girls here today. May we want to be a people that just wants to please you by living in submission and authority to your word. Give us the desire to read it, to learn it with our minds, to trust it with our hearts, and to obey it with our hands and feet. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said amen. Amen. Let me ask you to stand up. Y'all been sitting for a while. Y'all stand up. And if God has laid you to make a public decision, you say, what type of decision? Well, a decision to give your heart to Jesus. If you don't leave here today, if you don't know where you're going, you say, well, wait a minute, I'm going home. Uh, eternally, where are you going? You going to heaven? That's where Jesus wants you to go. That's where we want you to go. But to go to heaven, you've got to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. So has there been that day you drew the line in the sand to do that? If not, you need to walk the aisle. And we got, what, three of them here? Four of them? we got a lot of them. Come talk to me and Trey. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, do it after the service. And maybe you've been coming for a while and you think, you know, I never joined this church. Uh, this is a good church to be a part of. Don't you all agree? I'm, I'm glad most of y'all said that. Uh, because I would want you to be a part of this church. God's going to do some great things here. But um, if God's laid a decision upon your heart, this is just time when we stand and we respond. So, Amy, let's sing. Desire and